Welcome to Divorce Redefined, changing the experience of divorce with Cindy Stibbard. Cindy is ready to have those candid and unfiltered conversations so you know how to move forward in your marriage. You'll hear inspiring and insightful discussions surrounding this taboo subject to help you feel confident in your decision. Now, here's your host, Cindy Stibbard. Hello, hello. Welcome back, everyone. And welcome back to another episode of Divorce Redefined, Changing the Experience of Divorce. I am your host, Cindy Stibbard. And I am so grateful to those of you who continue to tune in every week with us, whether it be here on the live show or over on the podcast, I wouldn't be doing this without all of you. Also, if this is your first time tuning in, I'm so glad you're here. On this show every week, if you haven't joined us before, we dig into a topic that many of us feel uncomfortable about, a topic highly stigmatized in our society, and a topic that triggers even those of us who have gone through it and are well on the other side, and that is the topic of divorce. If you've been following me for a while and listening to my show, you will know how passionate I am about changing the experience of divorce. Because I believe that changing the experience of divorce is a movement. And you don't have to be going through divorce yourself to be supportive of this movement. But I would bet you know someone who has, who is, or who will go through divorce. And this show is all about them. I truly believe that if we get more education, more resources, and better professionals in front of those of you who are going through a tough time, whether it be divorce or any major life transition, and give you the tools to help empower you to navigate these tough times in a better way, I think we can do this differently. I think that if we can prepare, plan, and normalize the conversation, we can truly start to eradicate the stigma and shame that society holds so firmly around divorce. And if we really start to do this together, I believe the foundation of our marriages and our relationships with ourselves and that of our children as they grow up to be adults themselves can really start to change. The movement to change the experience of divorce isn't bigger than us. It is us. So that's why I've created this space for you, a non-judgmental, safe space for you to come, learn, grow, and be vulnerable, feel connected, and above all, feel like you're not alone because you're not. Here, we're going to have the hard conversations. We're all on this journey together of bettering ourselves and supporting each other along the way. And honestly, we all feel like we don't know what we're doing. So that's what we're doing here on this show, to give you some guidance, some direction, some insight, and even some inspiration so you can become more informed and educated on all the different pieces of the divorce process. So you can start putting those pieces together in a more empowered way. So today, we are going to be talking about one of the bigger pain points in divorce, and that is the family home. Divorce is a time of massive emotional and financial turmoil, which is hard enough. But then you also have to tackle tough questions about who owns what and who owes what to whom. One of the biggest decisions and most important decisions made in divorce is how the biggest asset is going to be shared or divided. And that asset is your home. 
So not every marriage is a match made in heaven, as we all know, which is why we're talking about this topic. And in fact, it's widely acknowledged that almost 50% of marriages in North America end in divorce. You hear me use that statistic all the time. But some separations are more difficult than others. I have seen high conflict couples spend hundreds of thousands of dollars fighting over everything but the kitchen sink, spending so much more than what their share of the equity in the family home is even worth. In fact, one couple I worked with a few years back, their marriage ended because it was discovered the husband was having an affair and the pain and anger and betray of the betrayal then ended up leading the charge of their divorce process. It fueled every decision that was made. And in the end, after almost four years of battling in court, the couple ended up spending over a million dollars in legal fees to finalize the divorce. This couple's divorce cost twice as much as the equity that they had left to divide in their home, which was one of the biggest points of contention during the divorce process. So this case was an extraordinarily expensive lesson in the price of resentment and what happens when we let our emotions drive our thinking and our divorce process. Of course, some separations and are less contentious than that, but even in the best of circumstances, when both partners amicably agree to the disillusion of a marriage, divorce is still a very difficult process. Fears about failure, finances, worries over kids, and the complicated mathematical formulas for divvying up the estate can be so overwhelming and confusing. Even a seemingly simple decision, like what to do at the family home, is wrought with emotional and financial minefields. So today, we're going to dig into this because it is one of the big stumbling blocks and obstacles in the way for many couples going through divorce. And I'd like to introduce you to my two guests today, who I'm so happy to have them here. Kimberly Coots, also known as the Mortgage Maven, is a fiercely dedicated top performer in every aspect of her life. Combining her passion for real estate and helping others, Kimberly became a licensed mortgage broker in 2015. She has a built a solid reputation of excellent customer service and has been recognized for outstanding performance many times throughout her career. Whether it's your first condo, your family's dream home, or an investment property, Kimberly is willing to do whatever it takes to help you. And my second guest became a real estate agent after specializing in residential mortgage financing for over 15 years. He understands the process of buying or selling real estate from start to finish. Greg Fiddler is a certified divorce specialist in real estate. He is equipped to assist clients with customized communications and a skill set to collaborate on both low and high conflict divorces. After going through divorce himself, Greg partners with various legal, mental health, and financial professionals to support clients going through marital transition. He is also a member of the LGBTQ Real Estate Alliance. Welcome, you guys, to the show. It's so nice to see you. Thank you Thank so you. much. I'm so excited. I know. I'm so excited to have you here. And I think like our connection as the three of us kind of overlap in such this great way. First, I think we, well, we all met because we are really helping other people when they're going through difficult times like divorce and specializing in making a difference in their lives. So before we kind of dig into the 
you know, the details about the house and family home and mortgage. How about, I'd love it if you guys could tell our listeners just a little bit about what makes you so passionate about helping people in this professional field that you're in. Who wants to go first? (laughs) Go for it, Greg. Okay, I'll go first. Um, So, I mean, I've been in real estate for quite a long time, including with my previous mortgage experience. And for me, I, I just wanted to have the opportunity to create a positive impact in the biggest financial transaction that most people will make in their lifetime. And I became a certified divorce specialist because just as you said, I also went through divorce Mm -hmm. and had to sell a home. And that was one of the most emotional draining experiences that I've ever been through. And I thought it was important that if I could turn that experience into something hopefully more positive for another couple going through the same thing, then, um, you know, why not? Yeah, totally. Giving back in that way. And also building on your own personal experience too. So helpful to be able to relate to others going through it. And you, Kimberly. (laughs) (laughs) Well, for me, I've, my background is actually in tourism and hospitality. So it's always been working with people and individuals and giving them, you know, happy, um, happy, memorable experiences. And so when the opportunity came to be involved in the real estate industry, I decided to do go on the mortgage broker side of things because I had a young family that I was starting. And so, you know, being out and about as a realtor wasn't necessarily, um, Um, the best option for me, but I thought I could still make an impact with, you know, future homeowners on the mortgage side of things, just providing education, providing a lot of information and just being there to help them make, you know, the best decision possible for exactly, like you said, the the largest asset that they'll probably ever purchase. Right. And so Mm -hmm. it's been super fulfilling. And um, because, you know, I, a lot of times I'm at the beginning of the process when relationships do fall apart and, you know, perhaps the family home does need to get separated. They, these individuals then come back to me also to walk them through the process or to guide them through the process. So um, I'm fortunate to, to be that resource for them. I love it. And I I think that you're, you guys both have really key roles in the divorce process because a lot of people, I mean, the reason we're all doing the work that we're doing is because we're trying to teach the world that divorce can best be handled from a team perspective, you know, use the professionals who are skilled and qualified to know what they're doing in certain aspects. And when you lay that whole blanket out, you have the emotional divorce, you know, you've got the financial divorce, the social divorce, you have so many things involved. Real estate and mortgage are just one of those pieces of this big pie because you do have financial assets to split and you need a home to live in. So whether that means like, you know, you're selling your house or you're keeping it, there's a lot of big decisions that can be made and so much of it is emotional and you both clearly, you know, deal with that emotional level and have such empathy for your clients because divorce is, is, is a tough transition. And Greg, you were just saying that you had to go through that as well and how much of an emotional 
how much emotional ties does that have? Right. Cause the family home is, is big. And even if it's like a family where you, you haven't necessarily been in it a long time, you've established this life here with someone. It's really hard to cut that tie. Well, and it's just also any time that you have to go through such a huge change in your life, like moving is stressful as it is. And then dealing with a partner who hates your guts on top of it, <laughs> in my situation, makes it even harder, right? So, yeah. Yeah, it is. It's so hard. And you know, we get emotionally attached and in divorce. A lot of times, you know, I want to say the caregiver gets really attached to the home as, as the woman of the house who maybe hasn't worked outside the home. There's a lot of emotional attachment involved in it. And, you know, even in my own experience, I think we have this traditional mindset where like the mom is supposed to stay in the home and raise the kids and the dad, even if he didn't want to leave the marriage, go leaves and goes to get a different place. And I think at first for my situation, that's kind of what I assumed as well. Mm-hmm. And then when it didn't happen that way, my kids were confused. They were like, what? We thought moms were supposed to keep the house and dads were supposed to move. And I was like, well, I guess traditionally, but the more I actually had to dig into that piece for me, the more I had to become more realistic with, okay, like, is it even first of all, possible for me to keep the family home? Like, what does that financially look like? And do I want this? Like, I'm about to start my own new chapter. Wouldn't I like to start fresh, you know? But couples go through this whole fight about who's going to keep it and then how much is it worth? And, you know, there's strategies that are, are out there to deal with a family home. What do you guys find is most typically common when people come to you and and they're either in the divorce process of buying or selling, what do you see most? I mean, more often than not, um, especially in Vancouver, since we're, you know, we are based here in Vancouver. um, I find that people will put the home up for sale, right? They'll put the home up for sale and then they will then divide after paying out any joint debts or credit cards, lines of credits, the lawyers, you name it. They will then take whatever's left over in terms of equity and then go ahead and go purchase two residences um, separately, right? Which can accommodate Mm. the families and the kids. Um, that's sort of the easiest, cleanest, probably way to move forward. And that's typically mm-hmm. um, quite often what happens. Right. And let's like, let's talk about the reality of that too. Cause I do deal with that with a lot of my clients, because especially here, I mean, there's, there's people, listeners from all around the world listening to this. So our conversation is going to be very Canadian and maybe Vancouver specific, but where we live is really expensive. And so when you're taking this joint family asset and now you're splitting it into two homes and trying to stay in the same city, I mean, how realistic is that for some people? And do you see that it can be often a struggle? It's definitely a struggle, especially if, you know, depending on, on the family, it's, there's so many factors, right? So one of them are, were, are both parents, have they been working, right? Or is one the state, the traditional stay at home parent, whether it's like the mom or the dad, right? And so you need to really evaluate the finances that are coming in. Is there any child support or spousal support and what that spousal support along with any employment income 
what that will afford you, right? And I think people do need to temper their expectations that the likelihood of them, you know, perhaps living the same lifestyle as they did before is likely not going to happen because you're now on one income or perhaps you're on one income supporting two households, right? Um, so... So yeah, so I think people need to definitely temper their their expectations and uh, the, getting ahead of the game and getting your finances in order while you're doing those separation agreements um, involving a broker in advance of even those separation agreements is always helpful so that you can be successful in moving forward with the purchase of a, of a new home for yourself and, you know, for yourself or yourself and the kids. And I think that's key too, right? To have those conversations with a mortgage professional early because I, I find a lot of people try to make the decisions about what's going to happen to the home before they even get that information. So true. And you know what? I didn't even think about that either. I think a lot of people overlook that piece of, you know, get yourself a mortgage broker in place because how do you even know what you can afford? Mm -hmm. You know, because even if you're selling or you're buying new, if you, I was a stay at home mom for 11 years. I didn't even know if I could qualify for a mortgage. Thankfully to you, Kimberly, I realized it could. <laughs> Thank God. <laughs> yes, you can. <laughs> right. But I think you don't even know where to begin in yeah. that way. And I think like, what did people need to think about? Like in terms of qualifying, let's say I'm, you know, couple is splitting up. What are some things that the, uh, you know, they have to, if you've never had a mortgage, like I never had one in my name, what are some of the things that you got to think about to think, okay, can I qualify for this? What are they going to want to know about me to be able to even start this process of knowing what I can afford? I think one of the key things that you need to ensure is that you yourself have credit, right? So a lot of times um, people's, you know, if you've been married quite a long time and you've joined all of your accounts and all your credit cards, you might not have your own personal necessarily credit history. Um, and so, you know, one of the first things if you are going to move forward with this process is ensure that you get your name off, you know, that particular credit card or that line of credit and start creating your own personal credit history, right? Because if one person, say they want to be vindictive or what have you, if they decide not to pay the bills, if they decide to have late payments, if they forgot, um, you know, to pay that um, parking ticket, all of that can affect your credit if your name is tied to, you know, tied to those different um, lend, you know, lending options, right? So creating your own background for your own credit history is, is super key for sure. Mm -hmm. And if you weren't a state, if you weren't working, would you have to have an idea of what your, what your spousal support is and your child support is before you, you can really go to the next level, right? You would have to have an idea, but most importantly, you, you need to have actually the separation agreement in place. Mm -hmm. And that even three, like you, you will have needed to actually have received at least three months of those spousal support payments and showing that on the bank accounts. Because it's one thing to say that this person is going to pay, you know, that parent $10,000 per month. However, if they're not actually making those payments, then they're, you know, then there's nothing there 
to prove that they'll be able to meet these mortgage requirements, right? Um, right. The other thing to take note of is that they're, not all lenders are created equal. And so not all lenders will allow 100% spousal support um, or child support, right? And so knowing sometimes it has to be a balance, like is this person going to go out and find employment? And then you have to have, you know, you have to go past three months probation. So as much as people want to go ahead and purchase a home right away, once they once they've received that spousal agreement, once they've started receiving those payments, it may not be the case because not all lenders are going to look at that spousal support and say, oh, I'm going to take 100% of that, right? Mm-hmm. And even child support, it's also dependent on the age of the children, right? Is the child going to age out? Um, in advance of that term expiring. So if the child is 15, 16, 17, you know, that parent that is receiving that support isn't going to get that support two or three years down the line. So Mm -hmm. therefore, it's not likely that the lender is going to allow for that to be taken into account as actual income coming in because it's going to expire or not not continue within the year of the the five-year term of the, the mortgage. Right. And then what happens when, let's say you want to keep the family home, how does it work to get someone off the mortgage and the other person on the mortgage? So what you would need to do is with the help of the mortgage broker, if one was involved, you would either, you know, have the mortgage broker assist or perhaps go straight to the bank. And what you're going to ask is for a release of covenant. So basically releasing the other party from that mortgage agreement. However, the spouse that is staying still needs to requalify, still mm-hmm. needs to meet those um, mortgage stress tests and uh, requirements in order to qualify for that particular mortgage. So it's all about the numbers. Mm-hmm, it is. Yeah. And knowing if you can afford it and keep going. Because I, what I see often too is like the, the let's see if you have a stay-at-home parent who wants to take the mortgage over, they have to have a co-signer, someone who can say, yeah. right? Like, I'm backing you on this. And that's a great solution. And sometimes the co-signer can be a retired parent, right? People, you know, lots of times there's hesitation because they're like, oh, my parents are retired, right? They they don't have that much financial income. But depending on what's required for the mortgage, that little bit of retired income, you know, is, is helpful because for lenders, it's all about the cash flow. Um, it's not necessarily the number of assets, like it's not necessarily the assets that you have in the bank account. Um, you know, you could have plenty of money sitting in the bank account. However, how much of money are you bringing in on a monthly basis to help cover those mortgage payments? So, you know, having one or two co-signers, having the parent co-sign is always helpful. And when you do have the parent co-sign, just know and understand that that parent is also going to go on title on that particular property, right? Right, um, yes. Yeah. So Which is also point. like why I'm like red flag when I see someone get in a new relationship and they want to put their new partner on the co-sign. Like, I'm like, no, no, do this. <laughs> You're getting out of a marriage. Don't fall right into the same old trap. You know, but although it's tempting because it gives you opportunity opportunity to maybe buy something more than you could have, but the whole risk of that to me, anyways, personally, I'm just saying to me, that seems a bit risky. Yeah. And you can reduce that risk, right? So if you are putting a co-signer on title, you can actually reduce their share of that home to say down to 1%. So a lot of times if it's parental co-signers, the parents will have 1% and then the, ch- the child in this instance um, has 99%. 
of the okay. home. Okay. Okay. So, yeah. So what what Kim's saying is is really when when someone goes on title, if there's two people going on title, you can either be registered joints with rights of survivorship. So say you and me, Cindy, were were co-owners of a home, we were joint rights with of survivorship. If I pass away, a hundred percent of the value of the home goes to you. If you register tenants in common, that's where you can apply specific percentages of ownership. So mm. especially that's helpful. We see that really more common with, you know, friends buying a rental property together, or maybe maybe it's common law partners that have come from previous relationships. They might have a cohabitation agreement. I get 50, you get 50. So if I pass away, then my estate gets the 50%. Mm, Does that make okay. sense? Yeah. Yeah. yeah Thank totally. you for the clarification, yeah. Greg. Yeah. Awesome <laughs> having your background. <laughs> right. Is all these things to know, you know, and then, you know, once you have the, a mortgage and you're able to either buy out or sell the family home, you know, Greg, you're in the real estate business of helping these people now make that decision, either sell it or or buy out your spouse. How often do you see either happening? Do you typically see one buying out the other or they're both, they're selling their property jointly now? Uh, yeah, I, a, a lot of it really depends on the financial situation of the couple, because especially, and I know that is very common in many areas of North America, the housing market has been absolutely bonkers for the past two years uh, during the pandemic. Mm -hmm. So values have shot up significantly, but people's incomes haven't shot up to keep in pace with that value. So if they do want to stay in and you're looking at a spousal buyout situation, a lot of people can't qualify anymore to stay in the home, right? So then that's where the decision has to be made. Okay, we're going to list, sell, and then, you know, mm-hmm. buy two two separate properties. And that is, that is so hard. And that's actually, I see it quite often. That's the one thing that holds a lot of people back from taking the step of divorcing or separation, because it's like, holy shit, we can't afford to have two homes in this city, or we really have to downsize and how we've got all, you know, all these kids, whether it's two, three kids, and how am I supposed to provide homes for that? I think at least from what I see, that's a real challenge, especially in this city. And I want to be able to dig into that a bit more when we get back. And Greg, I want to talk a bit more about, you know, what it, how you can go about selling the family home, let's say, if you're in a divorce, because there are some things to know around that. And I think your, your divorce specialist, you know, knowledge comes in play here too. So uh, yeah, we'll talk about that a little bit more when we just return after our quick break. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa. Play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. 
You need to live up to your full potential. You've heard that for years, but now there's a channel to help you get there. Introducing the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Our listeners have told us that they want to be motivated, hear about success stories, and positive encouragement around the clock. And we've responded to you. The Voice America Empowerment Channel is the home of the world's top life coaches, entrepreneurs, and success experts. Listen to the Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's here at VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. You are listening to Divorce Redefined, changing the experience of divorce with Cindy Stibbard. If you have a question for Cindy or her guests, join us on the show at 888-346-9141. That's 888-346-9141. Now back to the show. Here is Cindy Stibbard. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Divorce Redefined, Changing the Experience of Divorce. I am here with two special guests today, Kimberly Coots, the mortgage maven. She's a licensed mortgage broker. And Greg Fiddler, a certified divorce specialist in real estate. And we are talking about the family home, the big deal of that huge asset in our lives when it comes to divorce. Now, I wanted to just shift the conversation over to you, Greg, for a second, because Selling the family home in a divorce is obviously a really big, important deal. And everyone wants to get as much money as you can out of it. So when someone, a couple wants to sell it, what's the best way to go about, you know, valuing what is this worth and how, you know, how do we go about that process of figuring out, um, yeah, how do we determine fair market value for this home? Yeah, no, that's a very fair question. So um, what I do with my clients, it's there's a few steps when it comes to helping determine the fair market value. Um, you have to have a good conversation with your real estate agent about what's happening in your local market. Is it a seller's market? Is it a buyer's market or is it quite balanced? So here in Vancouver, we're still very much in a seller's market, which just means that there's a lot of demand for buyers to buy home, but there's still not enough inventory to meet that demand. So in that circumstance, then the value of the home is typically going to be much higher than the opposite where it's a buyer's market and there's a lot of inventory and just a small pool of buyers. Mm -hmm. So understanding your local market is key. And then it's really taking a look at what has sold recently in your neighborhood that's comparable to your home because the market determines the value of the home, right? Mm -hmm. Not, not you, the owner, it's, it's the market. You'll be able to sell it for what people think that it should go for. So by understanding what homes have sold recently for, and also taking a look at um, what your active competition is in your neighborhood. So if your neighbor down the street is currently listed, you know, taking a look at their value, then you can kind of arrive at uh, a price point. Mm-hmm. When it comes to what you should list your home for, um, what I always advise my clients to do is either go at fair market value or slightly below because the first two weeks that you list your home, when a home is fresh on the market, that's when you're going to get the most eyeballs on it. 
Mm-hmm. And a lot of buyers are pretty educated right now by going on different websites, whether it's uh, Zillow or or MLS or realtor.ca or, you know, whatever websites there are in your local area. Um, They kind of get a good sense of what homes are selling for, right? So um, if you price it well, people will take your home most seriously. And really at the end of the day, anybody who wants to sell their home, whether it's a divorce situation or, or what have you, um, you want to, sell your home as quickly as possible because we have a saying time kills deals the longer the Mm. house sits on the market people may start to think that there's something wrong with it right 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 yeah and i guess even if you're not actually selling it but you need it valued because maybe you're buying it out from the other spouse yeah might i mean there is a bit of contention there because someone wants it valued lower someone's valued higher you know what i know that there's the appraisal process you can do but what do you typically do i i would encourage people to go to a certified appraiser because it's a third party opinion. And really, I think a lot of, especially if they're looking at applying for a mortgage, say someone wants to stay and buy the other partner out, they're going to have a better sense of the affordability of that by knowing the value from the appraiser, because the bank is going to appraise the home anyways. Mm. So hopefully your appraisal and the bank's appraisal will be pretty much in line. Um, I can give a letter of opinion, but it's just an opinion. It's not really, you know, it's worth its weight on the paper that it's written on. Right. right? (laughs) But I've seen that work too. If you have like three letters of opinion, let's say from like three objective sources, not your like buddies or anything, but three different agents and say, okay, let's take the average of the amounts that they're saying, like the value. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's fair too. And you could completely do that. Yeah. Yeah. And appraisal is just to jump in is typically mm-hmm. around three fifty to four hundred dollars. So to oh, to have done through that, yeah, to have okay. done. So it's an inexpensive way to have that, you know, third party, okay, this is this is what it's worth without totally. those three pieces of paper and then doing an average and Yes. And where I see the sticky part is that people are like, well, when do I have the house appraised? Because the date of separation typically comes into play there, right? Do you guys work around like that date in terms of, okay, this is an important date when you're actually dividing assets because what was your home valued at the time of separation? But I know that there can be so much gray area into like, what is the date of separation exactly? Do you guys see a lot or have to work on that piece of that date? Uh, I haven't so much personally, but if somebody does need that, I mean, real estate agents and appraisers do have the ability to go back a few years to take a look at, especially, especially when it comes to determining the value, you you have to look at the comparable properties that have sold. Mm -hmm. So that's all historical information that's recorded. So it is easy information for us to obtain. Okay. Oh, that's good. That's good to know. Um, One question too is when both parties aren't on title of a house, can, and I don't even know if you can answer this question for me, can, uh, can the matrimonial home be sold by one spouse without the knowledge and permission of the other? Have you seen that before? Does that work? Is that allowed? I don't know. (laughs) We're like, we're not going to say anything. I don't know. (laughs) 
Yeah, that stumped me. I have not seen that yet. But I know in BC, in British Columbia, there are dower rights. So if, if because it's traditionally the female who's usually not on title of the property, yeah. right? It's, right. It's, it's often. Often. So what you can do is if you are thinking that um, you are going to be going into a marital transition and you think that your rights to the value of the home is going to be threatened, you can speak to a lawyer and get a caveat placed on title. Mm-hmm. So that if something happens and that home does get sold, your name and your interest is registered on title. Okay. Yeah. yeah that's good to know. And what about what about a mortgage? Can your spouse do that? Can they take out a mortgage without the other spouses knowing? Like let's say, yeah, on on the home. Well, we would need to do a title search on the property. So if this caveat that Greg had just mentioned is in place, then it, there's going to be kind of like a, a stop to that, right? Because then there will be more questions asked. Um, but when there is a home that has exi- like that has an existing mortgage, the lender will ask for title to see like whose names are on there and what mortgages are taken out on there. Mm-hmm. So, I mean... And if they're not, chances are it could be possible. It could be it possible, could be. but yeah. you know, hopefully, exactly that somebody puts a stop with this, with this, um, you know, with this process that Greg had just mentioned. Yeah, I mean, I also know of a situation. I think I had to do this myself. Is you put what's called a certificate of pending litigation, mm-hmm. so it basically stops all action against the house, so yeah. that it can't be sold, you know, without your permission, and so you can just sort of start to do the actual proceedings of it. But it always sounds so scary and so official, you know, when you're doing something like that. It's, it's a little bit threatening too, I find. So hopefully, you know, I think that if couples can go through this together, knowing that you have this asset to split in British Columbia, like the law is you're going to split the, you know, value of this asset um, between the two of you, you know, typically you don't have to, obviously there's ways to negotiate how you, this, that's going to be done. Um, but typically that's, that's how it works. Right. Yeah. Do you often see, I came across these strategies for dealing with the family home. And the first one was, you know, let we all know, agree to sell the home on the open market and divide the proceeds. The second one is one spouse buys up the other. The third one is to maintain mutual ownership of the family home and turn it into a rental property. Have you heard of this being done before? Have you seen it? Yeah, I actually had one client, they were... you know very amicable but they for the most part and they had approached me and what they actually wanted to do was potentially use the equity in the family home to then purchase a second home um and so the second home would be for the you know one of the spouses um and then that way you know they were able to hold on to all their assets and they would hold on to all their assets and only divide up the assets once their child turned you know of age and then they could go their own separate ways because they wanted to really maintain you know the same school for the child and but on their own they just couldn't afford it like the numbers just didn't work however um, together with their combined incomes and the equity in the home they could afford this second property and so that was one avenue that they were looking at so you know these things do happen where people you know are amicable and they want the best for the for the children so they figure out creative solutions so that they can maintain the home in some sort of manner, right? 
or use it to their advantage. Yeah. I love that. I love when a couple can actually put aside, you know, their own shit and think about, you know, this is also a business deal. I mean, marriage is a contract that yes, you're coming out of that contract, but you're still in some sort of a financial business deal. And if you could make it so that it works best for both of you, and especially when it's around real estate, I mean, that could be a really huge advantage for both of you. If you're able to, I guess, navigate it in an amicable way and not keep, you know, have an agreement to in place to say, okay, this is our deal. We're going to work this into a separation agreement. This is our deal that we're going to put together about our current family home and put a time limit on it. We're going to come and reassess this in five years from now to see if we're going to now sell the home and both take the proceeds or what we're going to do next. I mean, I think that would be such a beautiful thing to do. That would be ideal. Yeah, right? Yeah. I mean, in a perfect world. Yeah. Because, yeah. 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 I mean, really, when it comes to dividing the home or deciding what you're going to do with the home, I, I, communication is, is the biggest obstacle. It's the breakdown in communication that really, really can draw out the process for many, many couples. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it did it with me, too. Yeah. Yeah, it's hard. And when you're in that situation, I mean, communication is, is so difficult. That's why we often have a third party do it. You know, as, as a coach, I do it with my clients. A lot of people spend money on a lawyer to communicate with each other, you know, or sometimes they can communicate, you know, through their real estate agent or their mortgage broker. When you're selling a house though, and a couple is splitting, is it possible or is it recommended that they each have their own agents when they're listing a house or should they use one together? Well, I mean, you can always co-list the house with another agent, but at the end of the day, then both agents are still working together for both of the owners in the same transaction. So really, you'd only co-list if you thought that by co-listing with two different agents, maybe they serve two different markets, you're kind of opening up your home to a broader spectrum of potential buyers. Mm. I, I, I would say it's probably better just to find an agent that you both feel that you can trust and is, you know, going to work the best for you. Right. Otherwise it gets a bit complicated. Yeah. Cause I mean, I, I work on a very large team. I work on a team with 28 other real estate agents, the way I do things and the way that I communicate to my clients is going to be different than the other agent, mm-hmm. right? Even even if I work with them on the same team. So it's a matter of how, how muddy the waters can get if you have too many people trying to relay the same information to you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, there's too, too many cooks in the kitchen sometimes, right? When you just yeah. need to have one professional handling each little part of the pie. Yeah. And what I've seen too is usually then if both couples are buying their own property, then maybe they'll each get their own buying agent. Oh yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. Okay. I can see that for sure. Yeah. 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 And then, you know, bringing in the emotional back to the emotional piece of this. And when you see couples that are having to sell the family home and divorce and there are kids involved, you know, I often recommend that they try people try to keep the kids out of that selling process as much as possible, especially if the kids are younger. I'd love to hear your take on this, just dealing with the families, but 
I can imagine it's really difficult for a child to, you know, have to deal with open houses. It's their family home where they didn't choose this divorce. They have no say in what's happening between with their parents. And now they're having to lose their bedroom, their favorite rec room, you know, their areas. And it's really hard. And I think a lot of parents forget to think of that impact. They look at it as it's a financial deal, which it is. And they're emotionally attached to this home too. But sometimes this is the only house that your child has known. And this is their safe place. And if one parent is not able to keep the family home and now they have to have a more change in the family, which is like now you have two different homes to live in. I often recommend to parents to kind of keep them out of that. Don't let them see sort of the showings and the listings and really kind of keep it a bit more private just as you're sort of easing into it. I mean, I don't want to, you know, it's not good to shock them with it. Okay. It's sold and we're done, but to not necessarily have them present when strangers are coming and going and taking a look at their bedroom, so to speak. I mean, what do you, how do you guys feel about that? Oh, I would agree. You never necessarily want the children present during a showing. And and typically sellers aren't present during a showing. But when it comes to the listing process, um, I personally think it is important to have the kids involved and make okay. them feel empowered and part of the decision. You know, when, when, when you're listing your home, you have to sign a contract with the owners. Um, and I like to have like a little kid friendly contract too, and, and just oh. lay out their expectations, Right. you know, like, so, you know, people are going to be coming into your home. They are going to be coming into your room. You know, can you promise to do your best to help your mom and dad keep it clean? Uh, you'll have these little contracts for them yeah oh yeah, my gosh. yeah. Cool. I, think, I, yeah. I, I think if you can at least make them feel even though that they're not part of the decision but make them feel a part of it in some little way it might help with their fears and 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 the stress and trauma that they are going through mm-hmm. you know not only are their parents splitting up but they're going to be moving into a new place and they might have to move to a new school and make new friends and that's so scary for kids mm-hmm. so yeah i love that you said that empowering them you know because it, it is one thing to protect them from it but it is another to have them part of the process so that they don't feel that they have no say in this especially when they get to be a little bit older, yeah. you know, I want to say like nine, 10, 11, 12, 13 teenagers are yeah. super affected and they like their voice to be heard. Yeah. Although we might not listen to it all the time, they need to know that it's valued and it's very important for them. I love that, that I love that you do that process. And there goes to show you how, you know, you know, how divorce works and how sensitive, you know, that experience can be for the family. Mm-hmm. And, and it's also important to to have the discussion of especially if the home is going to be sold how it's going to be staged Mm. because a lot of real estate agents will always recommend that for you to market your home the best possible way it should look like a show home take down all the personal photos you know put them in a box put them in the garage what have you but for especially for children that can add to the trauma. Right. Right. Can even add to the trauma of yourself as the person going through divorce, seeing, you know, the, the wedding photo 
taken off the nightstand or what have you. So it, it, it is really key to have these kind of conversations right from the outset. Mm-hmm. Oh, I think a hundred percent. That's so, that's so good. And, and being aware too, that there is a lot of emotional attachments around this whole experience, mm-hmm. you know, and and getting used to what does my new life look like and what it is that that you need because so many of us you know as moms who maybe had you know it's already scary to think you're going through divorce and now you don't know where you're going to live which is already freaking scary right to think yeah. oh crap like i had to start again and but think about what your life means to you like i remember going through my divorce and you know I thought, okay, what is it that I really want in my life? And I looked at, you know, where I was living. I didn't really love our home. You know, I didn't love it. It was kind of our transition plan. It was like supposed to be for five years and didn't love the decor. I didn't love how, how that was. Location was great though. It was close to everything. And I thought like, do I really want this? Like it had big, big, like backyard and gardens. I'm just like, I cannot deal. Like, what do I actually want? Like, would it be worth it to me to even hold on to this? And for what reason is that? Mm -hmm. And as I started to look at like my wants and my needs in my life, you start to narrow it down and be like, oh, I actually want this to be simple. I want my life to be simpler and I want it to be affordable. You know, do I really want to spend all my money on this big house that first of all, I might only have the kids half the time in, Uh right? That costs money to maintain. What if it ever needs a new roof? That's going to be on me. All of the gardening is going to be on me. Like all of the, the taxes, it's all going to be on me now. And you start to add that up and you think like, crap, like maybe it's not financially smart for me to keep the house, you know, especially since, you know, I, I was only in my early forties at the time. Like I've, I think I've got quite a few years to go, you know, of life. So I want to be able to afford to live that life. And when I shifted my perspective from maybe I don't need to stay in the family home, maybe he can keep it. If that's really what he wants to do, cause he can afford it. Maybe I start looking at how can I then grow my new life and what does that look like? Mm-hmm. And it looks a lot different than it used to. And I don't need a lot of space. I don't, I like things clean and simple and very, very basic. I have a strata who does my garden. <laughs> like, so I don't want to deal with that stuff and I don't like bills. So I think that once you shift your perspective, of, you know, what is it that you really need and you want your want in your life? And how can you create that for yourself so that you can start to really take ownership of your new chapter and start to unhook from, from the motions that are holding you on to that house per se? Because mm-hmm. it's a big one. It's a big deal. It's the biggest thing that he's going to own. Yeah. 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 And I was going to say, a lot of times, not everybody knows exactly all the costs that are involved with the home, right? If really there was one person in charge of paying all the bills and usually there's is only one person you know kind of in charge of of managing the household finances more often than not like if the other person's unaware of all these things like property taxes and mortgages and you know what yeah right like that's a huge overwhelming thing to then all all of a sudden take on and understand how all the math works to make the household run yeah 
Cause it's a lot. Yeah. And I mean, and working through those financial pieces at first are super important to just be able to get your, an idea of what that looks like. Yeah. So you mean, you guys have been so incredibly amazing and so full of valuable information. I would love to you to share with our listeners where they can find you. Awesome. You can find me at KimberlyCoots.com. It's nice and easy. K-I-M-B-E-R-L-Y-C-O-U-T-T-S.com. Awesome. And you are the mortgage maven (laughs) on Instagram. (laughs) Perfect. What about you, Greg? And you can catch me on Instagram at Greg Fiddler Real Estate, uh, G-R-E-G-F-I-D-D-L-E-R Real Estate. Uh, and uh, my real estate team is Katrina and the team.com. Awesome. And so people can call, reach out to you, have a chat, you know, just see if like you're a fit or what, what they need, or even if they just need information. Absolutely. I'm, I'm happy to be a resource whatever capacity that somebody needs. Me as well, for sure. Awesome. And you're both on Instagram and I love what your content that you put on Instagram. You both have very valuable videos, which I'm always, which I always love. You know, Greg, you and your background with the bricks, wherever that nice office is. (laughs) Yeah, it looks really good. So anyone out there listening, check out Kimberly and Greg's Instagram. They have a lot of amazing, valuable information to share. And thank you guys so much for being here today. I loved, I loved our chats. I always do. Thank Thank you for having us so much. This was a lot of fun, a lot of fun. And it's so valuable for people to just know the pieces of the divorce process that they might not have considered before because everyone's so stuck in the the legal part. Mm -hmm. And the biggest issue is the home. We kind of need to work that piece out. Yep. Yeah. So thank you. Thank you both for being here. That was awesome. So I want this show to reach as many of you out there as possible because changing the experience of divorce is a movement. And here are a couple ways that you can please help get the show in front of those who need it. So number one, if you're listening on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, if you can rate, review, and subscribe to the show, that just helps get us in front of more people. Secondly, if you can talk about us on social media, send this to a friend, spread the word that this show has some important information for anyone that you know, either going through divorce or even who just struggles in their marriage. And the third thing I'd like you guys to do is just show up, show up and be here, take it all in, become informed and educated and empowered to do your relationship and divorce in a better way. And I really want you to not just be a passive listener here, but to take a little snippet from each episode that can either help you in your situation or help someone you know in theirs. I'm so proud of the show that we have put together for you and the lineup of strong, courageous, bold, and daring like minded professionals who also want to lead the charge in changing the experience of divorce with me. And I'm so excited for the work that we're all doing in this divorce space. And the theme of changing the experience divorce, I think is a show that we're a testament to that. So thank you everyone out there listening, joining today. I can't wait to see you all again next week. And thank you for my special guests, Greg and Kimberly. Have a great day, everyone.
Thank you for listening to Divorce Redefined, changing the experience of divorce. We hope Cindy and her guests were able to put your mind at ease and help you make the right decision for your marriage. We wish you a beautiful week. 